Um, before we get into the parsha, I wanted to say uh, one or two things about Hanukkah. Um, just to give a little treat, a little sufganiyah for uh, for Hanukkah. I think we've I think we've eaten all too much this week, so we'll we'll just have a little bit of spiritual sustenance. Um, I want to say one thing in Tanakh and one thing in, in Halachab. Both of them impact on history. In terms of uh, history, if one looks in the, the book of Maccabees, uh, the book of Maccabees, there are two books of Maccabees. Maccabee 1, Maccabee 2. Written at different historical periods with different agendas. In the book of Maccabees, it describes the, the defilement of the temple and the fact that spiritual sustenance. Um, I want to say one thing in Tanakh and one thing in, in Halachab, both of them impact on history. In terms of uh, history, if one looks in the, the book of Maccabees, uh, the book of Maccabees, there are two books of Maccabees, Maccabee 1, Maccabee 2, written at different historical periods with different agendas. In the book of Maccabees, it describes the, the defilement of the temple and the fact that of a few weeks, it didn't just happen in one day. And it's very clear in the book of Maccabees, in the, in the fourth chapter of the book of Maccabees 1, that they began the process of defiling the temple in the middle of the month. The middle of the month that they had captured it. And specifically in Kislev, the book of Maccabees tells us that they defiled the and the book of Maccabees tells us that they specifically, what happened on the 25th day of Kislev, not of Hanukkah, but three years before, the book of Maccabees tells us that they offered up the abomination on the Mizbeach, on the altar. So it's a very interesting phenomenon. The book of Maccabees tells us that the pagans waited, if we could use that, if we can read between the lines, they waited for a number of days in order to sacrifice probably the pig or something along those lines on the Mizbeach, on the altar. Meaning they could have done it the first day they walked into the temple. And yet they specifically chose the 25th day of Kislev in order to defile the Mizbeach. The temple was already defiled. But the book of Maccabees tells us that they waited till the 25th day. And three years later the book of Maccabees tells us that when Yehuda Maccabee and his soldiers were successful in rooting out the temple, rooting out the temple from the, the Greeks, the, the book of Maccabees tells us that, again, it didn't happen in one day. It took a, you know, it happened in a few weeks. And the book of Maccabees tells us that they entered into the temple already in the middle of, the, of Kislev. And they waited till the 25th day of Kislev to rededicate the Mizbeach, and the book of Maccabees says they did it specifically on the day that the pagans had defiled the, the whatchamacallit, the Mizbeach. Which means that if you read carefully in the apocryphal literature, the 25th day of Kislev was a very determined day. It's not Stamazoi, just out of the blue, that the 25th day of Kislev happened to be the day, you know, that they won. 
like you know, D Day. D Day could have been on you know May 30th, but the winds and the the the, the rains. So it happened to be that's the day that they decided within the window of two weeks. No, they had a window and they specifically formulated. They specifically waited to dedicate the temple on the 25th day of Kislev. And the nace of the Pach Shemen, now again, you can say this in a more from historical way, you can say it in a less from historical way. You could say it that God, that as they were dedicating the Mizbeach, they also found the cruise of oil on that day. Or you can say, Professor Sperber has argued in his writings, that they found the cruise of oil already earlier. They even found it in Cheshvan. It actually, if you look in, the, in, in one of the ancient sources, Megillat Tanit, it talks about that already on the 23rd day of Cheshvan, they seem, something seems to have happened. And it's just that the rabbis transferred the nace of the Pach Shemen to the 25th day of Kislev in order to put together the two events. It doesn't matter. As Professor Yerushalmi has often said, Jews don't engage so much in history, we engage in memory. Or, Professor, or Rabbi Shachter has you know, pointed out that you know, on Tisha B'Av we commemorate all Jewish tragedies. But it, not everything really happened on Tisha B'Av. The expulsion from Spain really happened on the sixth day of Av. didn't really happen on Tisha B'Av. But we associate things. So, but it's interesting that the 25th day of Kislev is the day that... Becomes, becomes the central focus. And the question is why? Meaning, why is it that the pagans dedicated and defiled the Mizbeach and waited for ten days to defile the Mizbeach, even though it says in the book of Maccabees they entered on the 15th day of Kislev? And why, three years later, did the Jews, Bedafka, want to undermine and say, we're going to dedicate the Mizbeach on the very day that the pagans had tried to destroy and defile the Mizbeach? And the answer to that is in Tanakh. The answer to that is, as was pointed out by Rav Yaakov Emden already, four, three, four hundred years ago, is in the very beginning of the Second Temple period. If you turn to the book of Zechariah, uh, the book of Haggai. Haggai was one of the latter prophets of Jewish history. Page 1379. Let's set the scene historically. The Jewish people, historically, just to get our, our dates correctly, so 586 BCE was the destruction of the first temple. 537 was the Koresh, Atarat Koresh, the Koresh Declaration that said that the Jews could return to rebuild the temple. 515 is when the temple was built. The second temple, Bayit Sheni, was rebuilt. So it took them 22 years to rebuild the temple. It's a long time. What happens during this period of time when the Jewish people are rebuilding, are supposed to be rebuilding the temple? Hanukkah, of course, happens in the 160s during the Greek period. This is the Babylonian period. This is the Paras. And this, of course, Alexander Greeks. Alexander. And eventually the splitting of the Greek Empire. So, 
What happened? Why did it take so long for the Jewish people, given the fact that they had the support of the, of the empire, they were given the monies, they were, why did it take so long? And the Bible describes to us what took so long. Because things get in the way. Remember that the Bible tells us that the Jews of the time, many of them didn't want to return to the land of Israel. They were very happy in Bavel. Either they were afraid, or they were concerned, or they were comfortable. Whatever the reason is, they didn't return en masse. And Haggai and Zechariah are, trying to, are dealing with the people in Israel who are supposed to be the ones rebuilding the temple. The temple was rebuilt according to the book of Ezra. This corresponds to the sixth year of Daryavesh, known in English as Darius. That's what it says in the book of Ezra. So the book of Haggai begins, if you look on page 1379, four years before. Meaning 18 years have passed and nothing has happened. The people have declared the time has not yet come for rebuilding the temple. The people believe it's too soon. It's not the right time. It's not the right context. We're not yet situated. We, you know, it's not time yet. So there's some Jews who say it's not time to go to Israel. They're living in Bavel. And some Jews who are living in Israel, it's not time. It's not time yet. We have other things to do. We have to build up the economy. We have to build up the infrastructure. We have to build up the state. Whatever the reason is. So he gives them Musr. Is it time for you to dwell in your beautiful houses while this house is lying in ruins? It's of course the reverse of King David. King David in the book of Samuel says, I'm sitting in this beautiful house and the, and the Aron is sitting in tent. Here the Jews are very happy. The Aron can sit in a tent, but we have our beautiful houses. And maybe they were, you know, adding extensions and expanding the house. You know, whatever, whatever people do. Okay, new, new kitchens, whatever they were doing. Basically, God says, you think that you're going to be able to worry about your economic success while the temple is lying in ruins? Well, God says, I have, a, I have a, a news for you. There's going to be a drought, and you're not going to have the stock market's going to crash, and things aren't going to be. You think, I'm tell, sending you a sign. You think you're in control? I'm going to send you a sign. And therefore, God says to them, and this is, remember, this is the fourth year, what's the sixth month in a Jewish calendar? The sixth month? Elul. Because we start from Nisan. The sixth month, the seventh month is Tishrei. So this is in Rosh Chodesh Elul. It's a good Musr Shmuz to them. And he says, Go up, get some wood, and build the house. 
And this is what you should do. This doesn't seem to be very effective. And the Bible tells us that some of the people... Well, I'm sorry, let me, let me qualify that. It seems that some of the people did start to get up and start to do things. Verse 14, page 1380. So they start to do work. But it seems that it's not enough. So it seems that there's a second concern. So they start to build or start to prepare to build the temple. It doesn't say that they really started to do anything, but they start to gather, they call up, you know, let's, they form a committee. They start the fundraising. And what happens is another, another spoke in the wheels. People start to say, we don't have, we're going to build a temple again. We can't build a shul that just looks like this. If we're going to knock down the old shul and build a new shul, it's got to be a stadium. And if it's not beautiful like it was the first time, it's not worth it. And so God says to them, in verse 8, Don't worry. Mine, gold is mine, silver is mine. I will rebuild this temple. I'll rebuild this temple. Don't worry. And, the, and it'll be great. Don't worry about whether it... it it, it's exactly like the temple was in the first place. And we know that when the temple was actually built, the Bible tells us that there were people who cried because they said, it doesn't look as beautiful as the first temple. But God says that's not what, what's important. And then all of a sudden, the last prophecy of the book of Haggai occurs, on the 24th day of the ninth month. What's the ninth month? Kislev. Very interesting. The 24th day of the ninth month is the last prophecy of the book of Haggai. And it's a very, very cryptic prophecy. It's a, it's a, it's a prophecy with a riddle. Go and ask Sha'al Nata Kohanim Torah Go and ask them a Shaila. Go and ask the Kohanim a question. If, if someone is carrying sacrificial korban, a korban, meat from the korban, and it touches other things, do the other things become kodesh? Yes. And somehow this is supposed to say something, that what you're doing is tamay, meaning you're, you're dragging of your feet isn't working. If you just start 
and do some Kodesh, the rest will also become Kodesh. Just get on it. Don't procrastinate anymore. Vayan Chagai Vayomer, Kein HaMazeh V'Chein HaGoy HaZeh, V'Chein Kol Maasei Deim V'Asher Kivusham Tamehu, V'Ata Nasimu L'Alevavchem, Min HaYom HaZeh, From this day onward, Miterem Sum Even El Even Beichal Hashem. From the, I'm going to translate the way Rav Yaakov Emden translated this verse. From the day prior to the beginning of putting stone to stone in the house of the Lord. What we would call in English the foundation of the cornerstone. The cornerstone, you know, with the, with the golden shovel and the, and the picture of the, the chairman of the board and the donors. So the Navi says, this is my last prophecy to you. The day before you begin the process of laying the groundwork for the temple. Miterem sum even el even beichal Hashem. And he repeats it in verse 18. Simu na levavchem. Take note. Min ayom hazeh v'amala. From this day onward. Miyom esrim v'arba. From the 24th day. Limin hayom asher yusad heichal Hashem. Simu levavchem. Note. What's going to happen? That from this day on I will start sending blessings. Meaning, because I see from this day on you're going to take responsibility and start building the temple. And it took four years, but it finished. And that's exactly what happened. And that's how the, the book ends with this prophecy. So Haggai prophesizes to the Jews over the course of three months, from Elul to Kislev, about the need to start building the temple and really fulfilling the destiny and rebuilt the second temple. And the last day that he talks to them is the 24th day of Kislev. Because the next day they start to build the temple. They start to lay the foundation stone. Which means that according to Tanakh, the 25th day of Kislev was a very important day in Jewish history. It was the day that the foundation of the temple had been built, was, 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 was set. And it could be that it's very simple to conjecture, and this is what Rav Yaakov Emden suggests, that it could be, that's Hanukkah, Hanukkah, that was the day that probably for years on was a day of great celebration. It was a day that was recognized by the Jewish people throughout the second temple period. It was probably a day that kind of lasted in their mind as something very important. And Zechariah, remember the prophet Zechariah, the next prophet, he's functioning at the same time. Look at the beginning of 1383. Bachodesh Hashmini, which is Chodesh Hashmini? Cheshvan. If right, Shi'i is Kislev, Bishnat Shtaim Ledayavish. It's the same time. They're contemporaneous prophets. What are you doing? And you're doing Averot. You think you can build the temple. And then he talks to them on the 11th month when they're already starting to build the temple. And it's interesting, Mr. Zechariah, that's what we read last week in the Haftorah, Zechariah has a prophecy about a Chanukiah. Right? Chapter, page 1385, verse 14. 
What do you see? So he sees the menorah. The whole story here in chapter 4, where he sees the menorah, Zahav, Kula, Vigula, Rosha, etc., etc. So, seeing the menorah is part of the prophecy of the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple. And so, when the pagans come on the 25th day of Kislev, they wait. They know exactly Jewish history. Like the Nazis, Yimach Shemam, Zichram, may their name be obliterated, that would do many of the terrible, terrible things, Dafgan Jewish holidays. And so the pagans come in this reading in the Apocrypha, they waited 10 days. They came into the temple on the 15th day of, of Kislev, it says in the Apocrypha. But they waited Dafka to undermine Jewish history. And so when the Maccabim come three years later and restore the Mizbeach on the same day that it had been undermined, they are saying, no, we are re-establishing the Mizbeach. We are reconnecting. We are continuing the dedication of the temple. What you tried to undermine, we are restoring. And part of that restoration is the Chanukah, the Chanukah Tamizbech, like we say in the Ma'oz Tzur. It doesn't say Chanukah Tamenorah. It says Chanukah Tamizbech. What we celebrate on Chanukah is not just the menorah, we're also celebrating the Chanukah Tamizbech. That's also what we read in the, in the uh, Kriyata Torah in synagogue. The Kriyata Torah is about Chanukah Tamizbech. It's about the different sacrifices offered by the princes of each tribe. It's not about the menorah. It's not what we read in Shul. It's about the Chanukah Tamizbeach, because that's an integral part of the Chanukah of the Mikdash. And the menorah represents the presence of God in the temple, which is exactly the message. Don't think that because it's not beautiful like the first temple, and don't think because it's not perfect like the first temple, and don't think, but still God's presence is with you now if you're going to live up to God's message. And so there's something very powerful here about the idea of the restoration of the temple. So that's the first thing I wanted to mention. In this context, I wanted to mention a second thing in terms of the temple and its ability to, to, to last. Let's put it that way. Its ability to last forever and ever, which will impact on halacha. There's a very interesting case. Okay, so the temple is built, everybody's happy. And all of a sudden, there's a big question that the prophets of the time have to deal with. Very much like Jews in 1948 and 1967 started to ask themselves. We've come back to the land of Israel, and yet there are a lot of things that we do in Judaism that don't really seem to fit with our newfound freedom, like the, fa like the fast days. You just rebuilt the temple, so what are you going to do with Tisha B'Av? What are you going to do with all these things? So they come and they ask the prophet, on page 1390, They sent to the prophets to ask, to ask the Kohanim, verse 3. They ask, the, they ask in the ninth month. 
in Kislev, again in Kislev. They ask, chapter 7, The fourth day of Kislev. Should we continue to cry on the fifth month? Which is the fifth month? Tishabav. Elul is sixth month. So Tishabav. Should we cry next Tishabav? We're building. We built the temple. Or we're building the temple. They didn't build it yet. It's the fourth year of Daryavish. But does it make sense to build the temple and continue to do Tishabav? It's a crazy thing. So he gives them a whole long, very convoluted answer. And he finally gives it, he tells them what to do. In verse 8. But you didn't want to listen and this is what happened. And so therefore, God says, I've restored Jerusalem and old, old people and young people will be here. The famous chapter, page 1392, verse 4. The old people and the children are playing. But what's the answer? Should we fast or we not fast? It's a very nice schmooze. But should we fast or should we not fast? So he tells them finally the answer. Verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 14. Just as I provoked against Jerusalem, now I'm being provoked for Jerusalem. I've turned to do good to Jerusalem. This is what you have to do. If you want an answer to your question, which I translate as, if you want to know whether Jerusalem will stay built and rebuilt, so they say, so if you want to know whether Tishabav is going to disappear, then you have to act in a certain way. It's not just about the temple being rebuilt, but the temple being rebuilt has to be part of a transformation of society. There has to be emet and shalom. There has to be truth and peace amongst brothers and sisters in order for this to actually remain. And so, there's a very interesting subtext here that the rebuilding of the temple also takes with it an element of the ability of society to function together. So now, we come to Hanukkah. Hanukkah is, of course, the undoing of the temple. Not literally that it was destroyed, but the defiling of the temple. The temple is, not, is almost gone. And the temple is restored. But the temple is restored at a great price. And the price is civil war. That's the, that's the part of Hanukkah that's not so pleasant. 
Chanukah is not such a fun, you know, latkes are good and dreidels are good and candles are nice, but Chanukah is actually about a civil war. Maybe a civil war that had to happen, but it's very painful. And in fact, I believe that's one of the reasons why the rabbis downplayed Chanukah. You know, the famous question is, how come Chanukah doesn't have its own Mesechta, doesn't have its own tractate in the Talmud? Purim has its own tractate in the Talmud. Chanukah doesn't have its own tractate. There's one little sukya, there's one little mention of it in the, in the Talmud in Shabbat. Also, if you look at the Al-Hanisim prayer, the Al-Hanisim prayer is a very nice prayer, but it's a whitewash of history. It says, Rabim yad me'atin, tzmeim biyad taurim. It talks about the Greeks and the Jews. What about, if you read the Apocrypha, it was about a conflict within the family, before the Greeks, about Jason, the high priest, and the Mityavnim. We talk about the Yivanim, but we don't talk about the Mityavnim. We don't talk about the Jews killing each other, and, we, and, and, the, and the Hasidim versus the non-Hasidim. It's empty. And I think Chazal were very, very um, troubled by it. it. It's a very painful aspect of Jewish history. It's not one that you want to repeat. It's not one that you want to see um, rehab happen. Meaning the temple is rededicated, but it's rededicated at a great price. Now again, it may be a price that you have to pay, but it's one that not necessarily you want to highlight. And therefore, that's another reason why the rabbis played down the entire violence element and pushed up the Nes Hanukkah of the of the Pach Shemen, of the cruise of oil, because you have to get involved in the history. And the history is very painful. And there are those who want to say that that's also what the Rambam is hinting at. The Rambam, Maimonides, in his presentation of Hanukkah, Maimonides also leaves out any mention of the Mityavnim. In the beginning of Hilchus Hanukkah, the Rambam describes the reasons for Hanukkah. And the Rambam goes into a history lesson. And there's no mention again, as I said, of the Mityavnim. Mityavnim, the Hellenists. I'm sorry, the Mityavnim, it's a reflexive. Those who caused, who became Hellenists and tried to, and, and were collaborators with the government. They were the ones who brought the government in. They were the ones who said the Jews are, are undermining the, the stability of the, of the empire. Because in general, remember, you have to remember historically. I mean, we all, I hope, we all went to school. We know, Alec, what was the difference between the Persians, the Greeks, and many other? And the Romans at first accepted this. They were very tolerant. They didn't go around trying to change everybody. They basically said, as long as you pay taxes and you're good boys and girls, we'll leave you alone to do your culture. We're, the Greeks in general, at this period in history, were not interested in everybody being Greek. That's just not what was. That's not the kind of context it was. And so, something agitated them. And part of what agitated them was where the Hellenists brought in and said, the Jews here are too dangerous. They're undermining the stability. They're going to cause trouble. But Rambam doesn't mention any of that. But what's interesting is at the end, the Rambam goes on a whole beautiful peon. 
The Gemara has one little line in Shabbat. The Gemara raises the following question. The Gemara asks the question, what's the difference between... I'm sorry, when you have a conflict between Nerot Habayit and, and Nerot Hanukkah, you don't have enough money. For us, it's hard to imagine. We, you know, we're affluent. But people are not so affluent. Most Jews in most times in history were not so affluent. So you have a conflict. What do you do? So you don't have enough money for candles of the house versus candles for Hanukkah. If you look in the Gemara, the Gemara does not say Nerot Shabbat. Rashi interprets it as a reference to Nerot Shabbat. The Gemara just says Ner Bayit versus Ner Hanukkah. And so the Gemara goes into what about when you only have enough money for Kiddush Hayom versus Ner. And in the process, the Gemara has a little line and says Nerot Habayit Adif Mishum Shlom Bayit. Because of peace of the house. Peace of the house means light in the house. So people don't trip over each other. People get along. People shouldn't sit in the dark. The things should be pleasant. So the Rambam quotes that Gemara. But then the Rambam says, he goes, Hayalafanav ner Beitov ner Hanukkah, o ner Beitov Kiddushayom, Beito Kodem. The house, the ner, the, the flame of the house comes first. Mishum Shalom Beito. Because of the peace of the house. Shaharei Hashem Nimchak Lasot Shalom Bein Ishlishto. You see that that even God's name is, is, is erased in the Sota ritual. You erase a piece of paper with God's name in order to try to bring peace between man and woman. And then the Rambam goes, Gadola Shalom, Shekola Torah Nitnala Sot Shalom Ba'olam. The Rambam goes beyond just inter-family peace. It says, the whole purpose of the Torah is to bring peace to the world. So many have commented on the Rambam going and becoming so elaborate. And one of the comments that people have made is the Rambam decides to end Hilchas Hanukkah with a peon to peace because Hanukkah is an aberration. It's not what we are supposed to remember. The interscene battles and the civil war is very painful. And the goal is to, as Zechariah says, the goal is to have a society of emet v'shalom, to have a society of peace where people are getting along with each other, obviously in the spirit of God. But I think that's part of also what we want to think of. And the way Jews commemorated Hanukkah clearly wanted to highlight that aspect rather than the civil war. And so that's something to take home with us even in Hanukkah, even as we stand up for liberty and all the wonderful things President Bush you know, said at the Hanukkah party and all those things, we still, there's something to think about, um, you know, about, about Hanukkah.